Get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me for another week of NRL news as he will sort of work through the uh, post-match fallout of the NRL Grand Final, my good mates, 60s and Clint. Fellas, uh, that was certainly one for the record books as the uh, Panthers came back from a 16-point deficit to carve out, unfortunately, a, a pretty uh, historic win against the Brisbane Broncos and be the first team to three-peat since our mighty Eels in 81-83. But before we get into that, let me ask how you're both doing, starting with you, 60s. Uh, yeah, look, not too bad, mate. I... Um it was a strange grand final for mine. It was, it had all of the action and suspense that you probably want from a grand final, but I'm left wondering to what degree the Broncos absolutely blew it and to what degree you, you know, absolutely lavished the praise on the Panthers for, you know, getting themselves back into that game and coming away with a title win that, honestly, I didn't see coming at, at the 60th minute mark. So, wow. um, yeah. I yeah, found I out – I was going to say, I found out in the wake of that game where I asked, can you perform a Heimlich manoeuvre on a horse? And it actually turns out it is physiologically impossible to perform a Heimlich manoeuvre on a horse. So no wonder they choked. Yeah. Um, and, you know, <laughs> they, they – they actually that that is an all time choke from Brisbane, unfortunately, and one that's going to haunt them. They may go on to win a premiership, but that team is that good. But that one will always sting. Being up sixteen points with what under twenty to go, and then uh, Nathan Cleary, who at that point had a shocker, like he'd, he'd led in a, a try or two with uh, shooting out on Reese Walsh, um, and was going to be remembered for all the wrong reasons. Turned it around and put in perhaps the the single greatest quarter of, of play that we've seen from an individual player in the grand final. Uh, to almost, not, not single-handedly, but almost single-handedly because a couple of guys like Moses Leota and a, and a few other blokes had absolutely cracking uh, finishes to that game as well. Uh, but, yeah, storm home and claim the Clive Churchill and the grand final there. So, yeah, crazy one there. We'll get into a little bit more as we discuss the podcast. But, Clint, uh, how are you holding up in the wake of uh, all the grand final shenanigans? You know, I find it interesting that um, Penrith are getting all of these audits. Some of them deserve for their three-peat, but... You know, there's one club that they didn't beat this year, and if you're supposedly the best rugby league team in the competition, sure, you you beat everyone at least once. And you know what? It was our mighty blue and goals that they were unable to get past this year. So, you know, if they won the grand final and they can't beat us, are we the best team in the competition by <laughs> default? Uh, it, it, I mean, obviously, we we are unfortunately not part of the uh, finals race this year, but the rivalry between Parramatta and Parramatta has gone to a new level in recent years with uh, Penrith's dominance, but the Eels also been really the lone holdouts, the lone bastion against their dominance. And I remember that stat that we spoke about the podcast earlier this year. I think Penrith had something like 15 losses in their three-year three, three year run through the what would culminate to the three-peat, and almost 40% of those losses were the Parramatta. So, yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is in alignment with Stephen Crichton's career statistics. There you go. Now, before we keep rant, oh, sorry, rambling and ranting on, we're going to our sponsors a quick shout-out, and of course that would be Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Rowan, and Parramatta. I always love shouting out the boys in both those places because they help the show happen as it does each and every week. 
Uh, but now, boys, let's get into what's been happening around the NRL. News team, assemble! We uh, start off with, uh, well, not hot in the heels of the Kalmatoa longing news about his recruitment from Manly to Parramatta with a... Uh, Another former Seagull looking to join the Parramatta Reels on a train and trial contract. Uh, I'm not too hot in this one, boys, uh, as we discussed in the sort of pre-recording, but uh, there have been uh, links putting Morgan Harper on a train and trial contract to Parramatta. Uh, he's been, he was originally going to be joining the uh, Super League in some capacity with one of the teams there, but apparently has hashed out a last-minute deal to join the Eels in the preseason. Um, I, I am not positive on this signing, um, and I won't say too much more. But uh, how are you boys seeing this one playing out? Okay, well, let's rip the Band-Aid off and we're not going to be making any sort of uh, disparaging comments about Morgan Harper because we're here to talk about football, not the individuals. Um, I guess what we probably had been looking for with Eels signings is something that for us moved the needle. Oh, this moves the needle. (laughs) (laughs) and for people that weren't privy which is everyone um, Clint and I were privy (laughs) to 40's comments before we started recording Uh, I'm not sure whether whether he's he's ready to release the shackles on uh, some of these thoughts that he was expressing to us I'll let him off the back fence coach (laughs) but um, yeah look I guess what I'm trying to say there is we need we need something significant to happen and maybe and I hate to say it but maybe this is indicative of the fact that we aren't going to get anything happening I, I, I fear that I, I genuinely fear that because um, when we're, I, I know that the NRL has only just wrapped up in terms of the premiership for this season, but the other reality is that the pre-season starts in about five, six weeks, and you want most of your roster in place. And at the moment, what we have in terms of additions to the roster is a couple of players, well, potentially a couple of players that Manly aren't interested in keeping. Now, without, without you know, putting the boot into these players, because who knows? I mean, they may turn out to be shrewd purchases. However, on the, on the balance of probability based on exposed form to this point, we're looking at um, not too much changing in that the club is looking for bargain recruits. And... We all know we need something to shake things up a bit in in terms of a a, a genuine um, well I, I said before uh, you know a, a recruit that moves the needle and let's say in a positive way we need someone that's going to move the needle that adds I, I guess we want value added don't we and. Hmm. Um, and, and look, some people might be able to argue 
um, that these two recruits aren't uh, might even be a step up on some of the players that were with us in in 2023. But the fact is, we want the Eels to return to finals football, and I think we need. Uh, and and don't get me wrong, I still I think that the roster, the, the core of the rosters that that's there, with a few things going better next year, we're not going to have some of the horrors that we face this year in terms of player absences. That it is still possible to to make the finals next year, but we don't want to just keep making finals. We want to actually be making an impact and we need a really good signing or two to really push what we're able to achieve in 2024. I'll I'll chime in at the end, but uh, how do you see this for the Parramatta Reels? You know, uh, with all the lessons that we could have taken out of the 2023 recruitment, a lack of a top 30 being filled out, the Eels have responded by picking up Kalmatur Lungi, who I don't mind. I think there is something there to work with. And Morgan Harper, you know, it, did we take the right lessons out of here? Have we taken lessons out of what happened? Look, gents, um, I know we said we're not going to have any disparaging comments. And so I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to, um, to temper what I say here. You'd have to say the answer to that question at this point is no. Um, I get that there's a top 30. I get that we have to fill it out. I get that when it wouldn't be necessarily be recruiting either of those two players to be starters in our side. Um, but at the same time, you know, and we we're talking about this before the show, the top 30 should be um, should be filled out if, if our um, goal and remit as a uh, development club is by kids with potential who may be able to push in for a game or two and show that they can handle it. And then you know what? They're, they're pushing for regular selection. Um, this doesn't smell of any of that at this point. Now, there's still some time to um, um, pass between now and round one. And ideally, as 60s alluded to, you want to have everyone there for day one preseason, particularly when you didn't make the finals and building, building some of those connections if they're new players coming into the club. Um, you know, and, and and plenty of fans listening to this would remember back fondly to the um, 2016 off season when we picked up Michael Jennings in the January of that year. Um, you know, and he spent a good five seasons playing with us. After that point, um, it's probably the last really, uh, I, I guess, big name outside back that we picked up. You know, he, he was a current state of origin and um, test player. At that point, I think he was. I think he was still representing Australia at that point before he switched back um, to representing Tonga. And um, you know, it's it, it's been a long time since we've made a splash with a with an outside back or or, or 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 an external back recruit. I should say, excluding spine players when I say um, back here. But um, yeah, you know, look, you'd have to think. Um, or sorry, what you what you what you'd hope, I should say is that um, we are making moves to take us to the next level and we can't be satisfied being there or thereabouts. And this year we weren't even that because we didn't qualify for the finals. Um, you know, all those other circumstances aside. Uh, so you're hoping that we're, uh, the review is, is, um, that's being conducted or has been conducted um, points uh, out the uh, opportunities to improve 
and that we act swiftly on that, you know, and we don't want to be unfair because as I said, there's, there's a little bit of time to, uh, to pass between now and then. Um, but, you know, you, you don't want to be filling out the bottom end of the top 30 before making your big move. You, you want to make your big move as soon as possible. And you sit down and you hash it out until you, until you get what you want. That's what I was sort of hoping, and I'm sure what many fans listening are hoping would happen or, or does happen sometime over the course of the next four weeks. Um, you know, because Clint, can I, we, can we, need, I just, we need someone. I want to talk about those sheer numbers at the moment. Now, we're sitting at 27 players should the Eels add Morgan Harper to the roster. So coming into November, that's that's starting to look like a, a, a reasonably full roster. You'd expect that maybe they might get up to 28 by the time they're, they start the pre-season training and maybe 29 early in the new year, depending on if you know, they might be looking for players that are, that are hoping to um, get a move from their club or something that just develops that's not really on the radar at the moment. So once you start to talk about 27, 28 at the start of November, I, I don't know how much is going to change. And that's, again, that's the part that concerns me because we need to get something moving. I don't have any idea what sort of cap space that we have. Uh, I'd like to think there's a bit of money to play with. Um, but, I mean... <sighs> Are any of us seeing people out there on the market that we'd want to chase that would be available for the 2024 season? No, we're way oh, too we're way top. too late. Not not, not, ex- yeah, not externally. I mean, you, yeah, you look that, at you look that, at what was available. You had uh, just going down the list alphabetically on I'm looking at acquisitions from other teams this season. Uh, Stephen Crichton. I mean, I know we need a centre, but he's, he's getting fullback money. That was never a realistic option for us. Um, Bronson Sherry, once again, yeah, I mean, you don't want to touch that. Uh, Jake Avarillo, there's a lot of potential there. He's off to the Dolphins. Herbie Farnworth, who we were linked to but couldn't get the deal done. I mean, he's going to be uh, – he already is a star. He's going to be that's, awesome for the, the, the Dolphins. Right there. Um, then you've got, obviously, the – I know one's not a back, but the Roosters pairing of uh, Dom Young, who, again, fits, uh, fits a big need for us, but also in terms of impact, uh, the prop forward uh, Lenu, Spencer Lenu, sorry. Um, so, you know, the, there were guys there to go out and get. There's a few more too, obviously, Paul Almotti going to the Penrith Panthers on relatively peanuts to fill up their top 30 could have been a good project. I mean, we love a project player, but we're not investing in the right project players here. And that that seems to be our ethos right now, is finding the bargain contractor guys um, that we to sort of mitigate our lack of TPAs or taking a diamond in the rough for a project guy. And I don't mind taking a lottery ticket signing every year and like, you know, maybe it doesn't turn out. We saw this year with uh, Mamacia, it didn't work out. We've seen plenty in the past work out. It cannot be your main recruitment ethos. It just gets mm. you in so much trouble. And you cannot yeah. rely on a coach like Brad Arthur to consistently get these guys to overperform. At some point, you need to go find a blue chip player and sign it to fit, fit a need. And the Eels just have not done that. And like I said, I don't mind augmenting your recruitment with the you know lottery tickets or the developmental guys, the Diamonds in the rough, sometimes they don't work out. Okay, whatever. It's fine. Our strike rate is actually outstanding in the context of the wider NRL in getting these guys to perform. But again, you were just backing yourself into a corner. 
doing that because when they don't perform, suddenly you're so you're so light on depth in your top thirty, and even worse when you do that with the ethos of a secondary ethos or equally primarily primary ethos of being a development club, you need to have these guys coming through and not losing them. You, you can't lose your Ethan Sanders to Canberra, and I know it, with Ethan it's obviously it's a difficult situation for the club because you have established halves in Moses and Brown, you know, essentially blocking him in the NRL, but you've got to find a way to at least keep them on their first NRL contract because otherwise you, you're literally just wasting resources developing them. Yeah, and look, I, I've said this before. I think that the Eels have that team that can play finals football next year, but I don't see the current roster winning the competition, right? And And at this stage, based on 2023 and... Um, some things going better in 2024 than what happened in 2023. And we're mainly talking about player availability there for a start. But you're, you're not talking about maybe going uh, deep into finals football. You're talking about a team that's going to be competitive enough to play finals football based on who's there right now. But we want more than that. Now, are there talented pathways players coming through? Absolutely. Are they going to be ready in 2024? No. You know, and that's, I mean, optimistically, we can start to look at them making debuts, maybe some of them, a small number of them, maybe making an NRL debut late in 2024. But we're not talking about players who are going to be the star players that you win a premiership on in the in the next year or two you're talking about that these are all very young players and they have nrl future written all over them but how many years are we going to tread water and that's and i mean that people can talk about okay you know five-year plans or or whatever the plan is that, that something has to come to fruition. Well, Eel supporters have been on what? A, are we on a 40-year plan at the moment? Because, look, I think we're about, as, we're about as patient as people can be and we really need, and, and I think we all understand as well the vagaries of, of the salary cap and... The, the fact that there are constraints in um, in what you can spend and where you can spend and what position and and then having pressure put on to retain players and having to spend more money than on retaining players than you might have initially planned. We understand all of that. But at some stage, there has to be something done that's a bit different that's maybe in terms of attracting players that we haven't tried before. We have to think outside of the box to get someone that we really want. I mean, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the recruitment team are sitting down and they've got one or two really key targets, like really special targets, and they're coming up with a plan. How do we make this happen? Let's just make it happen. Mm. Because... You know that when you've looked, when we look at some other clubs, 
and who they get there, you know, it, it's based on targeting players. It's based on coming up with a strategy for getting them to the club. Um, you know, but for us, what we do see on a regular basis is is getting, as you say, project players. And the coach does a really good job with project players. But project players aren't going to win you a competition. No. And that's just, that's just the reality. And maybe some of these pathways players will win us a competition down the track. But that will be ex- uh, expecting supporters to be very, very patient again without any guarantees. Mm-hmm. Because, you, again, you just don't... You, how can you pick... You can't predict that young players are going to be NRL stars. You can... It's such an inexact science. They can look brilliant at age levels and it just, for whatever reason, it doesn't translate. And we've seen it time and time again, not just at Parramatta, but a whole lot of other clubs. So, oh, fellas, it's, I guess we've, um, we've managed to do a good job in um, talking about uh, Morgan Harper and getting into the, 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 the plight of being an Eels supporter and what to expect from recruitment. Yes, indeed. And uh, when we're talking about that team and how they're still a, a top sort of a finals contender, even with the down year, it makes sense that there would be some representative players in the roster, boys. So let's celebrate those players that did earn representative honours for the uh, new look international scene that's happening, uh, what, in how many days now? When do, when do these things start? Nice to see. I've got my notes. Weekend. Yeah, there you go. So we've got the uh, internationals coming up with... England hosting uh, the Mate Ma'e Tonga in a tri-series. It looks like a three-game series. Is that? Yeah, so... Yep. Uh, they're going to be playing on the 23rd, the 29th, and then the 5th of November. So, obviously, October being the other two dates there. Uh, we're not going backwards in time. Uh, and then for the other teams, they don't actually have them listed on the... Um, it's not on the NRL portal here. So, let me just go look at our players who are repping right now, though. We do start with uh, Samoa, the Toa Samoa, with uh, Junior Barlow going to be, I believe, captaining the team. Uh, and he'll be joined by Dejan Arcee making his international debut. So he was having two reps there for the Samoan international squad. Uh, one player who has got a deserved call-up to another international team is Woody Wiramu Gregg, who was our Rookie of the Year and was outstanding until uh, Liz Frank Fracture slowed him down just a little bit. He got back, though, some way, somehow. He's going to join Dylan Brown in the New Zealand international squad. So the Eels well wrapped there across Samoa and New Zealand. No Aussies in the Australian team. Uh, Reagan Campbell-Gillard has been overlooked. Mitchell Moses not deemed to be good enough to replace the injured Nathan Cleary. Instead, they're going with the bloke that Mitchell Moses replaced the State of Origin. <laughs> in, um, <laughs> you, you figure out the maths there, but Nico Hines getting the call up over the uh, standout Origin halfback in Moses. Uh, but Will Penasini will be back for Tonga. No surprises there. He's been the mainstay for them. He'll turn out in the centres. And then in the NRLW, Kennedy Charrington has one selection for the Jillaroos up against the uh, game against the Kiwi Ferns. So, yeah, we know we'll be over in England playing in that three-game series. Um, but uh, Australia and New Zealand will, I assume, be playing. And then Samoa. Um, have I got Samoa listed here? No. Uh, well, here's, here's, the, here's the schedule with the... There you go, you've got uh, it. Yeah, it's, it's the Pacific Championship, so... 
Yeah, the Pacific Championships, right? So this is the Pacific Championships. So we've got uh, week one, October 14 to 15, Australia versus Samoa in the men at up in Townsville, Australia versus New Zealand in the women up in Townsville, PNG versus Cook Islands yeah. um, in, in the men at Port, Port Moresby. Moresby. Yeah, Samoa versus Fiji in the women at Port Moresby. Then the second week is October 21 to 22. Uh, New Zealand versus Samoa in the men at Eden Park in Auckland. New Zealand versus Tonga in the women, also there in Auckland. Fiji versus Cook Islands in the men at Port Moresby. And PNG versus Cook Islands in the women at Port Moresby. Then uh, week three, October 28 to 29, Australia versus New Zealand in the men in Melbourne, Australia versus New Zealand in the women in Melbourne, and PNG versus Fiji in the men in Port Moresby. And then the fourth week, the final of the Men's Pacific Cup tournament um, in uh, Hamilton in New Zealand, and the final of the Men's Pacific Bowl tournament at um, up in Port Moresby. So it's sort of um, broken into... What is it? Pacific Cup and Pacific Yeah, Bowl. kind of like a rugby sevens tournament where you've got the uh, sort of tier one title and then the uh, the lower cup or plate sort of title. So, yeah, good, yeah. I mean, good to see because it lets the uh, the small nations still be playing meaningful football in the final week, which you do like to see. Um, but, yeah, so Eels repping across those teams there. Um, we upset about any of the non-selections for the Parramatta Eels boys. Mitchell Moses overlooked for Nico Hines. Reagan Campbell-Gillard not getting a run at all. Honestly, if I'm being selfish, I'm very happy that Neva got picked. Mitch coming back from that fractured mm-hmm. eye socket. Reg just having shouldered a, a monstrous workload over the last couple of years. Could definitely, and especially as he's doing his, uh, having his uh, boxing sort of uh, off-season with Junior, um, could certainly use a bit of time off from the football, I feel. Yeah, I'll look, I think as far as the men's are concerned, it's probably indicative of the season that we had. Even even though, you know, we've been, what, one win and we would have got into the into finals football, but um, yeah, I'm like you. I think it's probably for the best that the players get their rest. Now, for players like Mitch Moses and, and Reg and the likes, um, they wouldn't have played um, since, what, round 26. So, didn't play the last round, didn't play the four weeks of finals football. That's They've had a five-week break already. Uh, a little bit longer for Mitch Moses because he didn't play. Yeah, because he busted the socket. Yeah, the eye socket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's got he's got a little bit longer. But um, yeah, so the players that aren't playing representative football, and that's the majority of the Eels squad, are getting uh, have already been on an extended break now, and uh, won't be coming back till. Um, early to mid-November, I haven't got an exact date on that at this stage, but I think it's good that they've had that sort of break, and even the players that are going off to uh, those five players that are involved in the in those um, test matches, by the time they've, they play on the uh, next weekend, they would have had, what, a six-week break mm. between... Um, between when they last played, obviously they would have had to have kept up a, a certain level of training, and they'd probably be back into training with this with those squads now in preparation 
but uh, it's going to be odd for them because they've had their break, then they're back into this international football, and then they're going to take another break again. I would imagine they'll be back, you know, for like a couple of weeks before Christmas. I would yeah. imagine that's probably what's going to happen with them. And again, that sort of disjointed pre-season preparation. I mentioned Kennedy repping for Australia. I also should mention that we've got a few other reps across the other countries. Capri Parkow is being selected for New Zealand, and then you've got a quadruple, quad, sorry, quartet of Eels name for the uh, quadruple for the Tongan women's side, including young star Cassie Tawi Hiku, Jade Fanoa, Amelia Murphy, and Shannon Muru, while Puka Berryman Duff, young gun Lindsay Tui, and uh, Tafawa Asua. I'm sorry, Tafawa, I forgot that wrong, uh, are in the Samoan squad. So uh, plenty of reps there on both sides of the ball for the Eels. Um, and like we said when, um, you know, when we were sort of complaining about the Morgan Harper stuff, is that it's not for a lack of talent in the squad, it's about getting the right pieces to take these squads to the next level for both the men and the women. So... Um, yeah, well done to all Eels on their selection there. Um, let's get back to the grand final, boys. We've got a couple of interesting games to break down there. It was actually, uh, in, terms, in terms of the entire weekend, even the AFL final was okay. I ended up watching that because my brother-in-law was a, is, a, is a mad Collingwood fan, so uh, I wanted to you know, either stick it to him if they got beaten up or you know, uh, commend him if they won. And For the AFL, it was actually okay, but in the NRLW and the NRL, two absolutely pulsating games. The Gold Coast Titans doing a... I mean, you talk about... Uh, Heartbreak. They they had that game won, and then a, a player by the name of Tamika Upton said, "No, nah, no, nah, we're coming back." And uh, a couple of mistakes by the Titans opened the way for Upton to get Newcastle home and secure back-to-back premierships for the Novacastrians. I mean, I think we it all seems had. Oddly, it feels oddly familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> yes, Eels fans can definitely sympathise with the Titans there. Uh, Upton just a, a class far above. Pretty much everyone in that coach is so good. Um, but the Titans did not shame themselves there. And, yeah, they'll be kicking themselves about not getting the, the title secured. Uh, but they uh, played a hell of a game. And it was just a fantastic game all around, really. Um, how did we see this one playing out, boys? If you look at the box score here, it was 24-18 to the Newcastle Knights. Jamie Chapman, I mean, how how many times in history are we going to see two hat-trick winners on the sa- – sorry, hat-trick mm. scorers on the same day not taking home a title? Chapman with the hat-trick for the Titans, uh, obviously Ezra Mann for the Broncos, getting a hat-trick in, what, like six minutes? Um, yeah, uh, crazy, much, crazy results. How much, yeah. how much the Titans that inside ball to yeah. Chapman? Yeah. And, and why wouldn't you keep going, going yeah. there? If but, the, you know, I mean, the Broncos probably could use that lesson, couldn't they, about going back to the well? They got away from yeah. what was working going down that left edge, and the, the Penrith Panthers came back. But in the context of this game, boys... Uh, obviously, the Chapman hat trick, but on the flip side, you had Upton scoring the last two tries with Strange, Gallagher, and Parker scoring in the, well, uh, just either side of half time, really. Uh, Strange and Gallagher before Oranges, and then, no, it was but all before half I'm getting my time, my time's like, it was all before half time there. Um, but yeah, the, the Titans holding a lead, a pretty healthy lead, actually, in the final moments. They were up, what, eight? Um, no, I think it was six, wasn't it? Six? Was, uh, yeah, I think, I'm sure it was like. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. It was, um, yeah. Uh, so they, they got into the lead, but then uh, I think there was a couple of penalties and some uh, ill-discipline, which, <laughs> again, sounds quite similar to the other game that was played afterwards. Uh, it just opened the door a crack, and when you've got a team as good as the Newcastle Knights or the Penrith Panthers, that's all they need. It's just that door to be ever so slightly ajar. Uh, it, all I'll say is, in the preview, I, I think I mostly mentioned one player. We, I, think we, I think we all honed in on the one player. Yeah, and yeah. You, you can see why she got the Dally M uh, and is hailed 
I think, pretty uh, universally as uh, the best player in that competition. Uh, just, yeah, what a phenom. Just relentless. Um, and, yeah, she just popped up time and time again when the Knights needed her most. And I know they've got a, a you know star young halfback in Jesse Southwell, but uh, Upton is the engine that makes that team just work. Yeah, yeah. And it makes you wonder how they were able to lure her away. Huh? What, a, what, a, what a coup. Yeah, I mean, I know... Uh, that she wasn't the only star they got in that initial wave of signings to help them get to that first grand final victory. Uh, but she was clearly the most important piece. And that's saying a lot given the caliber of some of the other players they recruited. Uh, but yeah, what an incredible player. Clint, did, I mean, it was, it was a surprise that we didn't get either the Broncos or the Roosters in the grand final, but we ended up with such a quality grand final in the NRLW is that is that like a a message to the rest of the NRLW that um, you don't have to have all the stars in your team to be able to put together a, a championship year? We'd like to think so, but um, you know, and, and and there's absolutely some some truth to that. But at the same time, you know, it, it's not as though the um, the Knights or the Titans were unworthy grand finalists and i know that's not what you're saying but you know you've you've, you've got um the, the the knights won the minor premiership and were an attacking juggernaut all throughout the season the titans were very defensively strong and hard to break down um comparatively so you know i, I think you know, and and maybe one of our listeners might correct me in the comments here but i think um we had the best attacking side against the best defensive side. And I think the Roosters sat two on, on both attack and defence. And um, maybe one of our listeners might be able to correct me if, if, if those uh, stats are incorrect. But, um, you know, what, what, it, what it also did show is, much like what I was talking about with the Eels' uh, recruitment challenges at the moment, is that it took a big game player in Tamika Upton to separate the sides. Um, you know, and it goes to show the value of a, a genuine game breaker. So... Um, you know, uh, I, I think the Knights were absolutely worthy winners. Um, but, you know, echoing back to your point there, 60s, you know, um, it, you, you can absolutely create the opportunity for yourself to be there. And you don't need to have um, the star-studded uh, roster that the Roosters had the past two seasons because they've come up short both years. Um, but you still do need some quality across the board and, and you, need to be, you need to be a side that's consist, uh, performing consistently over the course of the season. And I think that's the message for, for all the other teams, you know, that, that preparation is key and, and, and you know, it, it sounds like such a, um, a simple statement, but it's true yeah, that, that the better prepared you are, the, the, the more likely are you going to succeed. So, you know, um, I, I'd say that's the takeaway for, for the NRLW season. And- I suppose yeah, I was just going to say I was just going to say there too. Um, yes, the the Knights and the and uh, the Titans did assemble teams that were still quality rosters, um, and maybe to the end that you pointed at before is that what each of those teams developed was an area of excellence. So mm. the, the the Titans developed excellence in in their defence, the Knights in attack. And um, you know, worked on um, starting with a strength and then strengthening other aspects of their game. And then, as you say, when you've got a superstar like Tamika Upton, who's there and can and can prove to be a point of difference in the team when when 
when they're needed, much the same as Nathan Cleary was that point of difference for the Panthers when they needed it. Um, then that's the key to assembling a, uh, a championship team. That's, Sorry, 40. I was, I was going to say that. the natural follow-up for me then in the NRLW is how far off are our eels from matching the likes of the Knights and the Titans and obviously uh, Roosters, Broncos, below that. I say below that, but on the same par. They just narrowly missed out on uh, spots in the grand final themselves. Um, what what do we need to see from our girls? I know we've sort of touched on it with our, you know the, the changing of coach coming up and whatnot, but let, let's say we get a good coach. Like we, we find someone that fits with the needs of the team. In terms of the roster, how far off are we? Oh, that is one of the more um, difficult questions to answer because I can look across the roster and can find as, like some positives about a lot of the players that are there in the squad. Um, but somehow there's a balance that's not quite right. Mm -hmm. And like I said about the Knights and the rosters, uh, Knights and, and the Titans and their rosters, um, you know, we didn't develop any area which was, which was um, an area of excellence or a strength mm -hmm. for the team. And I think... Um, the the biggest area that we need to work on is discipline and defensive attitude because I think uh, the stats speak for themselves there. Mm -hmm. the, the incomplete sets and the missed tackles, uh, they're just you're not gonna you're not going to compete and what we saw this year was strings of, of, of tries coming you know once the once the dam was busted in in games it, it would really bust wouldn't it it was like you know the 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 flow would just completely overwhelm. They, they couldn't stimulate the bleeding no way yeah so no yeah. no and it, it almost seemed like um it was a regular thing to be absolutely punished for an error it was almost like the team found it impossible to defend an error. If they were on the attack, turned the ball over with an error in the red zone, the opposition could go 90 metres in that move, yeah. in that next set of six and score. And I I don't know whether that was just a, the, you know, whether the heads just dropped and the, uh, mentally they just weren't in it in that next set. But what you'd end up seeing was the team on the back foot for for the set of six that would follow an error where they'd be constantly backpedaling. And rather than thinking, well, okay, we've turned over the ball in the in the red zone, that's not ideal, but hey, look at the field position we're in. Let's follow it up with a, a really strong defensive set of six and try to force an error to um, to get uh, the ball back. No, it was it was the opposite. So I don't know. I mean I don't think I don't think the pre-seasons have gone right because we, we've seen every every year they haven't been ready for the opening game. Um, I thought it was going to be different this year after seeing the trial. Like the trial was a really good display against the Dragons, mm -hmm. um, you know, and and gave me real cause for hope because you know we were seeing the bit of pace in the outside backs and genuine aggression through the forwards. But then again, that match was played in 
um, I think from memory, um, 20 minute three quarters. 20 minute, uh, three 20 minute blocks, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah something mm. like that. So, you know, there was, there wasn't, um, a, an ask of them from, um, you know, any sustained periods of defense, um, any questions asked in that regard. So, yeah, I don't know. Clint, have you got any, anything you want to add to that? Um, look, not really, because I feel like you've hit the nail on the head there, 60s. And, and, and I'll just be repeating the points that you've already made. That being said, though, and we've repeated it a couple of times over the course of this year, the, the fact that we will have a Harvey Norman New South Wales Premiership side should serve the club well moving forward for the NRLW. Because it's the, it's, it's the season before the season, as we've coined. So, um, yeah, look... Uh, I'm, I'm optimistic about our chances moving forward there. And, you know, obviously we're still to appoint a new coach and um, and see what their coaching style is and, and, and the effect it has on the playing group. But, you know, um, it, it, it wasn't a great season for the NRLW, but I, I do feel as though the only way is up for the girls moving forward. Let's hope so, boys. Um, now, the coroner's report for the main event for the NRL game is in, and the diagnosis or the findings was acute equine asphyxiation uh, as the uh, Penrith <laughs> Panthers won 26-24. We mentioned it, but Nathan Cleary was the star with a... I, I, I thought, I mean, I know there was some, uh, some talk. He, he hurt his knee early in the contest. It was obviously a big factor on, on him in terms of his attack and defence. I thought he was bog ordinary for 60 minutes. I thought if I'd lost... This would have been like a, almost like the rubber stamp on Cleary, you know, chokes in big games. Instead, mm. uh, there was the, the one moment where the the Broncos were looking to go four straight tries. I think it was within like a ten minute, like oh, just over ten minutes, and they had Adam Reynolds running into the line. The pass goes behind him. For some reason, the Broncos lost all hunger for the ball. They just stood around That's, and watched it. And was it Moses? Was that Moses Leota or? I think it was Leota. Oh, Stephen Crichton dived on the loop. Crichton dived on it and then offloaded is what happened, yeah. Uh, that that completely just, the, it was the one moment they needed. And from there, Cleary got in. They scored the first try. He kicked the 40-20. And the, the Broncos just unraveled. Um, but yeah, try scorers in this one. Mitch Kenny scoring the, the luckiest grand final try I've ever seen. And that, yeah. that's part of the reason why I feel like the Panthers had nothing. Because they, up until the 62nd minute, they hadn't scored a single try that they'd earned. Like, that was just uh, Herbie Farnoff went up and then went for the tap back, right? And then none of his boys knew what was happening. Um, and so he ended up tapping back to no one, and Mitch Kenny scoops it up and scores. Uh, but from there, the Broncos dominated. Uh, you had Flegler scoring, which I thought was a, a – it wasn't deemed controversial. I wasn't sure he got the ball down, um, but it was close enough that, you know, it wasn't an egregious miscall. Then Ezra Mam scoring a rapid-fire hat-trick and looked to be enshrining himself in grand final immortality as he absolutely eviscerated the right edge of the uh, Penrith Panthers, including Nathan Cleary. And then we had Leota, Crichton, and Cleary himself coming back to seal the deal and uh, enshrine themselves as the first three-peaters since the 81-83 to 83 Eels. I mean, this was a very entertaining contest. There was a lot of uh, early flare-ups between the two teams, a lot of pushing and shoving, uh, but nothing that sort of escalated from that. And then, yeah, it, it was paid, played at a rapid-fire pace, Looked like Brisbane had it in the bag. You have to think there was a bit of shit talking going on once Brisbane were on top, and then it just it just unraveled. I, I I honestly cannot. In terms of grand finals, we've seen we've seen you know regular season chokes from every pretty much every team. Like there's been historic meltdowns of every nature. We remember was it 2015 for the Eels when Chris Sandow 
essentially spearheaded the legendary throw against the Cowboys. It happens to every club. Not in the grand final, though. 16 points up that with like 20 minutes to go is it's unheard of. And, you know, the, the Broncos look so hot and then so not. Uh, what do we take away from this one, boys? Look, I said before, I think it was as much a case of the Broncos throwing it as it, as it was a testament to the Panthers' resolve of staying in the game. I... I must say, I, I was pretty much like you. I was, with 20 minutes to go, I was thinking, no, the Broncos, the Broncos should have this. There's no uh, way they could like, throw it. Because of the fact that, um, as you just uh, mentioned, the only Panthers try had, had come from a Broncos error. And apart from that, the, the Broncos were able to handle everything that the Panthers were throwing at them. And, and, complete domination of possession in the in the red zone in that first half that the Panthers had. Um, but there was that... I was thinking back to different moments with the Panthers, like um, the way they almost did the impossible against Melbourne when Melbourne beat them in, that, in their first grand final mm-hmm. um, in, what was that, 2020? Mm-hmm. Um, because, the I mean, the, the Storm had had one of the, like a, a Broncos-like lead and almost got run down in the end by the Panthers. And you just, I just had that feeling that the Broncos were really, really loose. Like it was those tries that they scored, um, that error that you highlighted, there was... No urgency. That was, that was just... That, there was no excuse for that error. No. I mean, mm. like, like there was no urgency to fall on the ball. As you said, they were just so scrappy and loose. And that continued then for the rest of the game, like mm-hmm. the errors that they made. Yeah. It was, they unraveled in that last 20 minutes um, in and a way that didn't do justice to their first 60 minutes. No. no. And that sort of oh, leads Lord. me to a question for Clint. Adam Reynolds was brought in with the express mission statement of being the man for these moments. Was his performance an indictment on that you know, recruitment? He's been so good for him across his tenure as a Bronco, but on the biggest stage, in the biggest moments, when they needed mm. him to manage this game, he came out with some shonky dropouts. Uh, I, I know he got twisted up in a tackle pretty early on and he uh, might have done something to a hip flexor or something like that. But, you know, he, he wasn't there. Like, he... he he didn't need to be the star. He needed to manage the game. He needed to get them to their kicks mm. through the set. And sometimes it's out of your hands as a halfback, like your other players will do something stupid. They'll drop the ball, make a mistake. But the, the Broncos just could not get to a kick in the second half, it felt like, after their, their little run of uh, tries to Ezra Mam. They, they got on top and then forgot how to play football. Well, we mentioned the points there um, where we felt that the game turned and, and it was the set where um, Stephen Crichton eventually fell on the loose, the loose ball. But there's probably two or three sets in there, um, it might even be less, um, after the final Ezra Mam try, where it felt like Brisbane were trying to win the game by 50 points as opposed mm-hmm. to trying to win the game. And I think that's where the, you, you could make a case for an indictment against Adam Reynolds there because 
Um, that's that's where you want the thirty-plus-year-old halfback, Jeremy. Boys, it's okay. We don't have to score off every play. I know we got, I know we got the um the, the win behind us. Inverted commas. I know I know we've got the um the run of play with us. We just need to control it from here. The result will take care of itself. We've got enough points. All we need to do is play field position. We'll, we'll keep doing that. We'll jag one more. That'll be all she wrote. That's what you'd be looking for in the last 20 minutes. And he is a player that is, is primed to do exactly that and has done that plenty of times in the past for, for both the Broncos and South Sydney. So the fact that he didn't, look, I think it's a bit harsh to suggest, you know, that um, that, that, that ruins the recruitment per se. But... Um, it cost them a premiership. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as, as good as that squad is, sometimes you only get one shot at the premiership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, that's a that's a, a realistic concern for them because they do lose a couple of key players. Flagler and Farnsworth uh, to the Flagler Dolphins. And, and, and Farnsworth, right? So it's, um, you know, it's you, we talk about premiership windows and, and Parramatta had their opportunity last year and didn't uh, didn't measure up in the grand final. That I mean, we weren't in the contest last year in the grand final. In this instance, the Broncos literally had the premiership in their hands. And it's not a matter of shutting up shop and going no. into their cells in something like that. It's a matter of the halfback saying, okay, fellas, let's, let's get into the grind of applying pressure to them. Mm-hmm. Let's make them. Let's make them break. We don't have to do. We, we don't have to be going for the fifty offloads in the in the one um, in the one set. Let's just let's just apply some pressure. Let them know. Let them make it hard for them to even think that they can come back here. Let's mm-hmm. not open the game up for them. Yeah, well, let's tighten the screws. One of the let's apply, yeah. I was going to say one of so, the big criticisms we had of our own team this year was when we were bad. We were constantly spotting good teams plus field position inside our own half, and it's just it, it is such a cardinal sin, right, to do that in it, to you know any team, let alone one of the good teams, but to do it on the biggest stage so many times in the second half. That's what cost them in the end. Well, what you saw from the Broncos in that last twenty minutes was the Broncos of twenty twenty two. I cannot I cannot steer away from that because. What we saw was um, poor discipline. We saw butchered opportunities. Um, it, and, and basically, we saw a team implode in the final 20 minutes of a game. And that's, that was basically what we saw over the last, what, six weeks of the competition last year mm-hmm. from a team that was essentially the same. It, you know, Reese Walsh being the only difference. And Reese Walsh, boy, did he have a mixed bag in the grand final? He was pre- like, he was pressing. He, he was. He, he had a couple of errors in the first half. I know the Broncos did good, did well to go in eight six at half time, and he you know he was flashing in that little Ezra Man whirlwind period. But when the game when the, again when they needed to just settle, he was looking for the big plays. And I yeah, yeah. I, I respect not putting the cue on the rack and turtling up and trying to play too defensive because you see teams fall into that trap when you've got a lead. But at the same time, like you said, 60s, there's the other metric, the other extreme where you don't need to be going out trying to win by 50. You just need to play solid football. And the, the Broncos yeah. forgot how to do that, and Reese was probably at the heart of it. Because the thing is, if you're really on top of another team, 
and you're just applying the pressure and you're playing good rugby league, the points will still come. Mm-hmm. And if, but if they but if they don't come, you're not going to be surrendering territorial possession where you don't want to. If if you're getting through your sets, if you're if you're executing and getting to a kick, if you if you're making the other team come off their line or come out of their corner every time they're getting possession, you, you you're not you're strangling them. And yeah. they'll points, get frustrated. Points are a byproduct of pressure and playing That's exactly it. as you're touching on their sixties. It's not the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, the, the Broncos had those flashy moments that led to the tries, but they they were under the belief that they were going to be able to play for the next twenty minutes exactly like that. And um, Penrith showed them, look, for that to happen, you really have to have a lot going your way. Um, and it doesn't take much to change that sort of momentum in, in rugby league, especially against a team that were already on a premiership double and heading for a three-peat. I mean, like they weren't playing the Tigers in this no. game. You know, If they were playing the Tigers, yeah, maybe they would have won by 50 or 60 points. But no, you know, they're, they're, they're playing the you know one of those teams that is a generational team. Well, at the very least, and... and this is where... Um, let's pose the question now, then. Nathan Cleary. Now, John, you said before about, you know, the, with 20 minutes to go, the headlines would have been talking about Cleary again failing to produce on the big stage, you know, as in, um, like, in his, some of his origin performances. But at club level, now, with... Four straight premiership, uh, four straight uh, grand, grand finals, finals, three premierships, and three premierships. I mean, he's he's up there in an elite class mm-hmm. of halfback. Yeah, because in those matches, he has been a dominant, or if not the dominant player, two Clive Churchills, one of the dominant. Yep, he he is literally Penrith's Peter Sterling. Yeah, yeah, and I I I cannot. I cannot argue about that. And I mean, we talked during the origin series about whether there are certain players that don't adjust well to that particular arena um, for whatever reason. And, you know, the debate is, the debate is still on about, about Cleary in, in those particular type of games where it's just a three match series like that, but across the breadth of the season um, and, now over the last four seasons we're talking about a level of excellence that is impossible to deny at at this at this club level i mean it's i mean where 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 do you rank him in terms of halfbacks that you've seen in your lifetime i pose that question to both of you It's interesting too because it comes back to that rep versus club divide, doesn't it? Because you mm-hmm. think of guys like Joey, like JT and Cooper even, uh, who all had the big origin international moments as well as the great club moments. And while I think Cleary has been the best club level halfback out of any of those ones, and I, I know Joey carried some substandard Newcastle teams to premierships. Uh, you know, to That's part of the reason why he has, you know, between that and sort of really... He didn't pioneer, but he perfected the modern halfback role, I feel like, Joey, which is probably why he's held in such legendary 
regard from his peers and from you know uh, the wider audience as well. Um, yeah, geez, it, it, it is a very difficult conversation now, isn't it? Um, and on, on top of that, the legend of um, playing through a, I, I assume it's an MCL sprain. I haven't, I haven't seen the full details, um, but to be able to play on a bad knee, it must have been an MCL or something similar. Well, you know, enhance the the effort that he had there, sort of akin to what Cooper Cronk did with the Roosters when he had the uh, separated scapula. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's in rarefied air, isn't he? I, I know he, he's got plenty of detractors, and you know, you can understand why if the way the Penrith team sort of carries on with their bravado and whatnot. But in terms of the results, they, they can't be ignored now. He's at, at the club level, uh, the elite of the elite. Yeah, Clint. Look, uh, it's a hard question for me to answer because I'm, I'm, I'm very pro Andrew Johns as the best halfback that I've ever seen. And I don't, I, and, and despite what the, the statistics um, say at the minute, um, uh, maybe the course of history will change and shift that. If, um, you know, but I, I feel like Nathan Cleary is very good at every aspect of the game. And maybe the thing he's, he is elite at and better than anyone else is his, his composure. If you want to put that on a rating scale, he's definitely the most composed um, half in the competition at present. Um, you know, and he's probably got that a bit better than some of his peers. You know, and I include Andrew Johnson in that because Joey was a lot more of an emotive player. Um, you know, as opposed to, and I don't mean, I mean this in a very kind way. I mean this in the most complimentary way, whereas Cleary seems almost a little bit more robotic because he's removes the emotion and, and makes the right choice 9.5 times out of 10. Um, so, yeah, look, you know, he, he's probably, he's probably like three or four for me at the moment. But, you know, with the asterisks that his career is still going, he could very well make himself the number one. But to me, guys like Joey and, and JT, you know, you, you it's easy to get caught up in recency bias and, and um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to regulate myself from doing that because, you know, um, it's also very easy in recency bias to get hyperbolic with things. But you can't deny the fact that he's won three premierships in a row. But at the same time, you know, it, it's a wonderful team that's around. Yeah, that, that's what... Like the other guys from a um, from an individual perspective, you touched on it yourself, Forty, that they, they, they brought some players who maybe weren't quite at their level up and along with them for the journey. And I think from an individual perspective, that's the mark of a, of a really high-quality player. But take nothing away from Cleary. He's an absolutely outstanding player and a really, really great team, you know? So that's, I kind of feel like they bounce each other out Yeah, that, that's what balances the equation for me too, Quinn, is that you don't get a dynasty team with just a great playmaker. Uh, the, mm. the Penrith roster, I mean, it's being picked apart by the Bulldogs in particular, but by a number of teams, and it still has so much talent in it. And that, that's obviously a, you know, a massive compliment to the way Penrith have handled their business in terms of development and, with the uh, importantly, augmenting via recruitment. Viliama Kikau was not a Penrith junior. They brought him in. Uh, Api Karasau wasn't a Penrith junior. They brought him in. Um, they've, they've done a great job of finding the complementary pieces in recruitment to the point that they can elevate the rest of the team. Um, obviously, neither of those players were there this year. Uh, and they, That's why I think Penrith looked the most vulnerable they've looked yeah, I, I know that they still, you know, at the top of the table, but they, they looked the most vulnerable if you're watching on a week-to-week basis until the very end of the season when they sort of got back into gear. Um, so, yeah, Cleary, incredible player playing in an incredible team. So that that's going to mean that I don't think that there's always going to be a pundit that's going to argue one way or the other, right? You're not going to have a, a definitive result. If they go and win again, make it the, uh, the four-peat, then, you know, obviously that's going to help with the Cleary conversation. 
Uh, but that it doesn't change the fact that the team is incredibly stacked. You know, and yeah, to, I, I've I've got him up there in the top half dozen half. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely yeah, mm. absolutely where he belongs, and um, he can add to or detract from that sort of a you know formula or, or discussion based on what happens in the coming years when Penrith finally slow down because they're not going to be at the top forever as, as much mm. as it feels like they're going to be. When that lull comes, can he drag them deep into the finals? That'll probably be what what will uh, help cement himself into like the top two or three halfbacks. I think if he can do that, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and I, I look. I've probably still got Peter Sterling at at right at the top of the tree, but then into that mix, I've got uh, Jonathan Thurston, Andrew Johns, um, Steve Mortimer. I Toby was. Yeah. A, a, a great, a great halfback, um, Ricky Stewart, mm-hmm. was also uh, right up there as a as a halfback. You, like you just, you can't ignore it. And all, all of them were were different types of halfbacks. I, I, I think the area with Cleary where he's maybe underrated, um, or, or maybe the other teams um, don't watch him enough, is when he decides to run. Yeah. Yeah, he, he uses his mix-up so well, doesn't he? Because like when he dis- decides to run, teams it just feel like there's a massive gap. Like they're like they're not yeah. accounting for it whatsoever. It's like no, he's going to pass, he's going to kick, he's going to do some other organising thing. But no, he puts the foot down. Usually it's that left foot. It feels like because he's drifted to the other side of the field. Um, and yeah, uh, very, very good player. One player I did want to shout out too because I feel like he just paces himself through the season and then freaking turns up in every massive finals game as the best forward on the field, Moses Leota. Like, again, mm. just phenomenal. You know, in a game that was filled with outstanding middles, having great games, Payne Haas, Patrick Carrigan, Thomas Flegler for the Broncos. Uh, you know, obviously, Isaiah Yo got, got knocked out of his game for a bit, so it wasn't as influential as he has been in the past. But Leota, again, you know, he just... I don't know what it is. Uh, it feels like... Uh, we've talked about it before, but it feels like the Penrith back three carry them through the regular season in order to keep those middles fresh for the finals. And then they just tee <laughs> off. And we just saw yeah, it. I, I think we've, we've, as you say, we've spoken about it before. And, you know, the, the huge rap that I have on Isaiah Yo. Uh, I mean, he's been, a, from the time that he was first um, taking the field with the Panthers, he was a player that I, I, I wished Parramatta had just thrown, mm-hmm. the, thrown the checkbook at him and said, you, you write what you want. Wouldn't it even cost um, that much back then when he was filling as a centre. No, no. But um, Leota is a player that I'm always hoping is out whenever we play the Panthers, mm-hmm. just simply because I know what he's capable of doing and the impact that he brings. And that's not in any way undervaluing what our forwards seem to be able to do to Penrith when we play them in. In most games, not unfortunately, not in all games, like in the the final series. But um, yeah, so uh, I think that's a I think that's a fairly good um, shout out. So uh, I guess the final question before we move on, fellas, um, to talking about a couple of other NRL news items, is what odds would you put the Panthers at for next season? Oh, can you bet? Can you bet against them? Can you bet against them? Well, I, I would put them at four or five to one. The Broncos aren't better on paper. Yeah. They're losing two key players in Flegler and Farnworth. 
they're getting a handy player in, is it Baker? Fletcher Baker, I think it is from the Fletcher Roosters. Baker, yeah. um, who, who I actually think will be a decent pickup for him as a you know rotational middle piece, but he's not. Flegger isn't a, a you know a, a good rep player. Uh, so I mean, who are they losing yeah. the Panthers? That Crichton, you yeah. know, and Crichton again is a player I feel like sort of cruises through the regular season, tends to turn up in the finals, which is important, but it's in a replaceable position. And Penrith just seemed to churn out these outside backs. Um, right now, what we'd expect, um, they'd probably put uh, Taruva right into the centres and then bring in... Or Taylor and May. Oh, like yeah, they, and then Taylor May. Either way, they put Taruva in the centres, Taylor May onto the wing or vice versa. Uh, mm. So <laughs> they're not exactly losing I, that much. Um, I think I, where I think they've been kissed on the proverbial... Is they've hit the, they've hit the final series with a healthy roster. Well, and the Every one the one player they lost this year again, it, it was like the most superfluous member of their playmaking core, in Jerome Lua. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I, I know they're sort of they've got a no frills battery at dummy half. Um, much like the Parramatta Reels, they've shown that they they can make it work with just the dummy half that can defensively hold their own and distribute the ball effectively, and then you know take the opportunities that present themselves, as we saw with the Mitch Kenny try. Uh, but yeah, Kenny, uh, Kenny, uh, Cleary, Edwards, Yo, that's really the, the the ticking heart of that playmaking core there. And they've, I think, what Yo been off for the fifteen minutes for that mandatory concussion te- uh, check was like the most injured they've been among that trio in the finals in that four year run. Yeah, yeah, like they, they like last year, from memory, I think they had every single player in their in their top 30 available. I could be wrong. Tell you but win, I just have it in tell the back you win of my mind. It, um, you know, they, they, they won four grades last year. Um, now, maybe this is, you, you said that they looked their most vulnerable this year. And I guess there's, there's a little bit of evidence in that the three grades last year that, uh, won the title under the NRL, uh, didn't go so hot this year. You you had the um, New South Wales Cup didn't make the finals. Flag didn't make the uh, uh, Flag made the first week of the finals, got bumped out by the Eels. Yep. And SG Ball, I'm just trying to think, did they play finals football? Surely they were in the finals. I have a quick gander. But yeah, I mean that it's hard to discredit the Panthers for not having, you know, deep finals runs in every single grade. Uh, but again, it's a testament to how high, how hot their organisation may get. They made the uh, grand final qualifier in ball. They were knocked over by the Knights ten to eight. So ah, oh, that's it. Yep, yep, forgot about that. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, they, they they didn't dominate every level this year. So maybe the the pipelines are slowing down a little bit, and like that's to be expected, right? You cannot go over half a decade of just like dominating every level. It's just, it's not sustainable. And the fact that they've been so good for so long again is a huge credit to the way that they administrate their football team. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, Eels no longer the, the most recent reigning free Peters uh, Penrith. Yeah. Enshrine themselves in immortality and Cleary gets a very, you know, unique piece of uh, grand final history with his individual effort there. Let's uh, move on there, boys. Talk about some other happenings quickly in the NRL. We've got a coaching, uh, well, not a reappointment, I suppose, just a resigning. Um, after, I mean, it's been spoken about, it's been a done deal for essentially months now, but 
given the turmoil that this club went through at the end with some, uh, rev- uh, not revolt, but unrest between players and assistant coaches. Uh, it's uh, taken a while to get it confirmed, but uh, Jason Demetrio of the South City Rabbitohs has inked a two-year extension um, that comes on the back of uh, Sammy Burgess departing the club to take up reins in the Super League, uh, but he didn't depart on a, on a happy, uh, happy way. Right move for the, the Rabbitohs boys, or were they needing to move on from Dimitri, given what's been happening there? Oh, look, I think it's the right move. Um, whether South are going to bounce back and play finals football next year, I'm not too sure. It's um, a volatile roster, isn't it? Yeah. it's. Um, I mean, I, I guess in some respects they're not too different from the Eels in that they had a, a greatly disappointing 2023 on the back of a promising 2022. Um, but there wasn't a great deal of um, disruption to the South Sydney roster. Um, they didn't lose the, the number of players that the Eels did at the end of 2022. So you'd have to say it was a disappointing season. You'd have to say that, yeah, there's those rumours there that the coaching style doesn't suit all of the players there. But you know what? When a team is is struggling for form on the field, I think you start to get disgruntled players. Mm-hmm. And given that you had a reserve-grade team that went on the march went with uh, late-season form and were, and were picking up wins, you probably had some players there that maybe thought they should be a chance of playing first. You get all this sort of stuff going on, don't you? Where, you know, there's players feel they're not getting a shot that maybe they should be getting or deserve more than someone else. Um, yeah. Look, I, I, again, I don't know whether they'll play finals football next year, but you'd have to say he's only just taken over the reins at the, at the Rabbitohs uh, the last couple of years, so... Yeah, there's probably there's probably nothing wrong in him being extended by their club. You in accord there, Quinn, or you have a dissenting view? Yeah, look, yeah, I I, I agree. We're we're in accord. Um, yeah, uh, kind of coincidental. You say that I was watching Pirates of the Caribbean the other day. <laughs> we have an accord. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, you look. You know, if it it's always interesting when these extensions happen after after the season that South Sydney had. So, you know, um, it will be initially and rightfully looked upon as a decision of solidarity and this is how we are going moving forward. But, you know, if, if South struggle in the um, in the first half of next year and we don't see anything too different from the back half of this year, there might be some whispers around that and that two-year extension might be revisited by South, you know. So, um, yeah, look, I've... I've, I've I I have um, uh, no no problems with it at, at, at this point, and you know um, it's as it's supported. It's the type of um, strong decision you want the club to be making, but it comes with a wait and see. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. All righty, let's wrap the show up with a little bit of controversy. It couldn't be a, a podcast episode for a little bit of spice. Uh, we mentioned eels in rep squads, and we mentioned there were no Australian eels repping, which I'm really again not upset about uh, but in that team there were some controversial picks boys uh, some bad boys <laughs> rewarded for some pretty ordinary behavior um, some grand final teams rewarded for their rich form um, let's go through the Aussie squad and pick out who sort of stands out as 
and maybe you shouldn't be here. Um, but alphabetically, or is it alphabetically? Mm, it's alphabetically by surname, okay. So Josh Adokar from the Bulldogs, Patrick Carrigan from the Broncos, Dowie Cherry Evans from Manly Ringus Eagles, Selwyn Cobbo from the Broncos, Lindsay Collins, Roosters, Ruben Cotter, Cowboys, Tino Fa'asua Malawi from the Titans, Thomas Flegler from the Broncos, Harry Grant from the Storm, Payne Haas from the Broncos, Valentine Holmes from the Cowboys, Ben Hunt from the Dragons, Nico Hines coming in for Nathan Cleary from the Sharks, uh, Liam Martin from the Panthers, Cameron Munster from the Storm, Cameron Murray from the Rabbitohs, Katoni Staggs from the Broncos, Hamaso Tabuai Fado from the Dolphins, James, Ke- uh, James, I was about to say James Capdesco, but James Tedesco, captain from the Roosters, Jake Tabojevic, well done Jake, from the Manly Ringus Eagles, and Isaiah Yo from the Panthers, uh, and they'll be taking on the Samoan team. Now, going through there, like I said, there's some grand final players being rewarded for some great form there. I can't really knock any of the actors. There's honestly a, a low amount of Panthers in this team. Like I'm looking at this team, and mm. what? There is Liam Martin um, and Isaiah Yo. So that's uh, almost, I mean, I know Cleary's injured, uh, but that, that's got to be close to a record for a grand final winner to have only two reps in the Australian team. So you can take... How, many are, how many are actually eligible for Australia as opposed to other countries? That's true, because Fisher-Harris is a Kiwi. Uh, Moses yep. Leota is not repping for any of the Aussie squads, right? Um, yeah. So Dylan Edwards, who was, you know, one of the guys in competition for the fullback spot, but look, overlooked for uh, Teddy. Um, and obviously Reese Walsh too. Uh, Isaac Tungo, I believe, reps for... Uh, is it Tonga or Samoa? Uh, Sunia Taruv is Fijian. Stephen Crichton. Um, Samoan. Samoan. Brian Tottle, we know, reps for uh, Samoa, I believe. Uh, Jerome Luai doesn't rep for Australia, and he's also injured. He would be playing for Samoa otherwise. Um, Sorensen, Liam Martin, Yo, the last two are in there. So, yeah, uh, yeah, just that there's not that many Aussie-eligible reps in the Penrith team. Interesting. That's, that's, that's basically it. If, yeah. If Cleary was fit, he'd be in there. Uh, so you'd only say that one one player who'd be seriously in the run for the Australian team, um, Dylan Edwards, uh, missed out, and that's it. Um, look, in terms of the controversial selections, um, it's it's more on off-field stuff than on-field stuff. Uh, the Josh Adokar and Valentine Holmes for some of the off-field stuff that's hey, gone on. They've got to change the name of the Curry knockout because the players are taking it too literally every year. They've got to, yeah. they've got to go and re- rebrand that to something more uh, brand-friendly. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Josh, Josh had a car. I don't know if something happened during the game, but he was caught on, uh, looks like, uh, phone camera, taking the first swipe at the opposing player and starting a bit of an all-in brawl. Um, I don't know how you've rewarded that with an Aussie jersey. Um, and then Valentine Holmes. That, that is actually embarrassing that Valentine Holmes has picked. Regardless of the one-game suspension or not, they should have made a statement and not picked him. Um, well, if you remember, um, uh, we we had the case of um, uh, the Melbourne Storm uh, players um, that were Brandon Smith and Chris Lewis. Yes. No, I'm I'm, at, I'm I'm also thinking about the Kiwi players that year who. Oh, were, Jesse, uh, Jesse Jesse Bromwich and uh, Kevin Proctor. Yeah. Yes. Yes, so um, Dave Kidwell refused to select them for that behaviour, mm-hmm. and um, so I, I 
I don't believe Valentine Holmes should have been selected because he was just, he was given a slap on the wrist for a start over that off-field incident. Um, just rank stupidity. And, um, and then, look, I'd hope the Parramatta signs Josh Adokar because there's... There were, it wasn't just rumours. I think it was. I think there was some genuine truth behind the Bulldogs looking to offload Josh Adokar, just seeing if there was a club willing to take him on. Hello, Parramatta. What do you think? <laughs> a, bit of out, a bit of pace in the outside backs, um, please. Um, <laughs> you know, it, if if what I heard was correct about the opportunity to pick up someone like Josh Adokar. The Eels should have been absolutely pounding on his door and saying, look, head up to Kellyville, mate. Because to, to me, he would be um, a difference maker for the club. Now, having said that, um, I don't believe that he should have been selected in the kangaroo team based on what happened at the at the Koori knockout. And that's just, you know, look, I, I wish him well. I hope he does well in the Australian team. Um, and, and I'm not meaning to, you know, mark his papers as ne- never to be selected or anything like that. But, you know, don't go and muck up off the field or even on the field, as it were, at a, at a in another competition. So, um, but apart from that, I can't argue too much with those other selections. And let's be honest, when it comes to Nico Hines, he was competing against uh, Mitch Moses, who was injured at the back end of the season. So I'd much prefer Mitch to get himself right and uh, and be ready for the 2024 season. Well, given how much World Cups of a mess of Paramount's preparation for the 20, oh, yeah. 2018 and 2023 uh, seasons, um, and we saw one one was a wooden spoon and one was a disappointing uh, slump to miss the finals, uh, I'm glad not to have too much disruption from international football, especially when it just it's so whimsical and they want to ramp it up and make it a, a big deal. And, you know, 2023, they suddenly want to make international football relevant again. It's like a big... I'm, I'm not against it. It's just that it, it feels very arbitrary sometimes. And for the Eels, getting a chance to properly reset and get into a preseason, hopefully healthy, hopefully having this uh, batch of young kids chomping at the bit, pushing some guys from uh, underneath, I'm, I'm not too unhappy about that. So, yeah, no, no complaints from me there. And obviously, maybe it puts a bit of fire in some of the bellies of our boys that were overlooked. Hopefully that's the case. Uh, but yeah, aside from that, I don't think there's too much to talk about. I'll take one quick gander at the breaking news to see if we've, uh, as we want to do, just miss something. Um, but going in there, yeah, I think I think we're good to wrap it up there, boys. Um, we'll we'll press the uh, stop button on the record, and then well, have... we were, we weren't seriously thinking we'd knock this over in half an hour. <laughs> no, 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 but we'll we'll stop recording here and then have some massive breaking news happen. I'm sure within an hour that of, uh, of us. <laughs> um, well, uh, mate, as as always, um, you've done a fine job there, Forty and Clint, and uh, our shout out to people who are listening to the podcast in what is the right now the rugby league off season as such. But there's no such thing as an off season on the Cumberland Throw. Stick with us; we'll keep pumping out the podcasts as well as any relevant news articles in the lead-up to the pre-season and pre-season training reports. And as always, thank you to Big Swing Golf at North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta for being behind us in what we do to bring you 
everything Parramatta Reels. So, uh, again, thank you to everyone for listening. And as always say, go you mighty eels.